This episode is brought to you by our friends at Detroit Boxing Company. They're a clothing brand that focuses on quality and comfort. I have a few of their shirts and they are comfy as hell. And not only are you going to look great, but I swear when I put my shirt on, I can throw my jab cross hook way better. Maybe that's just the placebo effect, but I swear it looked way better. If you want to learn more about the company and what TJ has been putting together, you should listen to episode number 36 of the podcast. I had a chance to talk to him about his motivations and what inspired him to start the company. He's a wonderful dude and what he's putting out is great. So be sure to check out their website at DetroitBoxingCompany.com. And at the checkout, make sure you use the word CoreyCast, all one word, no E, C-O-R-Y-C-A-S-T, and save yourself 10% at checkout. It's time to treat yourself. My guest today for the podcast is my friend Alicia. She is the co-founder and owner of the Convenient Counseling Service as well as her clothing brand Therapy Threads. She is an amazing therapist and I learned a lot during the hour that I got to talk to her. I have never taken therapy in my life. I hope it helps a lot of people who are on the verge of talking to a therapist. Now, in the podcast, we covered various reasons why you might want to see a therapist. And I think Alicia really hit it home that sometimes you don't need a reason to see a therapist. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk to and vent to. So I hope you take advantage of her online only uh, convenient counseling services because she is a fantastic therapist and also is supported by many other therapists in her group. So I hope you enjoy this episode with my friend Alicia. Oh, so Alicia, why don't you introduce yourself? What do you do? Uh, what your company is? I feel like that's probably the best way to start. Sure. So I am the founder and owner of Convenient Counseling Services and kind of an offshoot of that, which is Therapy Threads. So the meat and potatoes of it is Convenient Counseling Services. So we provide online therapy um, in New York and in Connecticut, actually, um, all across the state. Um, I have four therapists working with me right now. Um, that also provide therapy under convenient counseling services. Um, we have a blog, um, Therapy Threads. The sister company is a mental health apparel line, which has been a really cool project. Um, and we ha- we're active on social media, which I personally love doing and sharing content on there. So that's kind of the bulk of what we're doing right now. Yeah, I was just saying before, I feel like you had a lot of irons in the fire. Like You're doing yeah. a lot of stuff, which is kind of cool. Totally. What, what made you want to start this counseling counseling service? So I was working in the agency world from internship up until um, 2020, actually. And there was just community mental health um, is a bit of a machine right now. People are expected to carry caseloads of anywhere from 40 to 80 people. And you kind of lose the personal touch of therapy at that point. Um, So I started like taking some online courses about owning a private practice and kind of figuring out like what that would look like. And the quality of care is just at such a higher caliber um, than community. And I really, really love that and gravitated towards that. And then, you know, owning your own practice, you can kind of provide the accessibility of care at whatever means that you want to, which has been really cool. 
and it was the start of 2022, right? Was this when COVID had just hit or like, what was the, yeah. The, yeah, what was the environment like? So the ironic thing is um, I filed my DBA in June of 2019 and I told everybody like, yeah. I'm going to quit my job. I was working for the federal government. I'm going to open this practice. People are like, you're crazy. Nobody wants to do therapy online. Like people actually said this to me face to face. Like nobody wants to do therapy online. How are you going to make out a business? That'd be um, something my mom would say. If I was working yeah. for the state, she'd be like, are you crazy? You're going to lose that pension. <laughs> Yes, the pension. Oh my gosh, the boomers in the pension, you know. Yeah, right. So I saw my first clients in January of 2020 and I was like, no, this is like actually going well. And then I got pregnant and I was like, I'm just going to like go all in. Like we're going to see what happens. And then the pandemic hit and people were running to me saying, how do I put my practice online? Like, what are you doing to make this work and make it HIPAA compliant and all of those things that have to be in place? And so nobody calls me crazy anymore, which is nice. It was like great timing too on that part, right? Yeah, like that. You couldn't have asked for better timing and all that because now you have like when you uh, there's some podcasts that are sponsored by Mm -hmm. like uh, an app therapy thing. I think it's kind of the same general idea, Uh, and that 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 kind of market exploded and you hit it right before before it did. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and those bigger companies are kind of like tycoons of the industry, but you know. Well, I think it goes back to what you're saying earlier, too, where you said, uh, you know, you're working for a larger agency, so they expect the workload to be a lot bigger, where when Mm -hmm. you own your own practice, you kind of can pick and choose who you want, right? And what kind of workload that you want. Totally. Yeah. What's the biggest shift from when you were working in an office space to uh, like everything basically virtual? So it's kind of isolating, like owning your own business in a way, because even like the therapists that um, are like affiliates of community counseling, you can't really have like the coworker relationship with them because at the end of the day, it's like a business relationship. So that's been like a weird shift. And I was also joking yesterday, I feel like I don't have intellectual conversations about like psychology and therapy anymore because I obviously like talk in a different way with patients because you don't want to like psychoanalyze patients. Like nobody, nobody wants to have a conversation like that. So there's no right. more like consultations about like different approaches of therapy. Like all of the learning is kind of self-guided at this point, especially with COVID. There's no in-person training. There's no in-person anything. Um, right. So that's been kind of like a weird shift that I'm trying to balance right now. Do you have like, uh, like in real estate, I have a, I have a mentor, like somebody I always look yeah. up to and I, and I talk to you. Do you have somebody like that in your yeah, business? I have, yeah. Thank God. I have a couple that also have jumped ship from the community world, the private practice. So even just understanding that dynamic of taking that leap has been awesome. Yeah. It's nice having somebody who has like the experience to, for yeah. you to be like, I've never been in this position. What would you do? Yeah, totally. Totally. Especially if it's somebody that you look up to, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's been nice. And what kind of uh, things do you cover? Because I I think therapy has got a lot of different things it covers, right? Like drug abuse, family, mm-hmm. uh, loss, stuff like that. What what things mm-hmm. do you guys focus on? Um, so we kind of target like millennials in general, which is a huge population, obviously. Um, but I tend to work with a lot of my clients, funny enough, in New York City, which I love because it's a lot of like mid 20s, early 30s clients that are going through like 
should I marry my partner? Should we have kids? Should we move upstate and buy a house? Like all of these kind of big life decisions that they're kind of working through, gaining confidence in decision-making. I love working with that population. And the nice thing about having my affiliate therapist is, you know, one of them specializes in grief and postpartum and one of them specializes in LGBTQ and PTSD and complex PTSD and um, another therapist I'm looking to bring on specializes in like chronic illness. So it's nice to be able to place people with these kind of honed in specialties that will really serve them the best. That's nice. You got like a good, uh, you got good legs at the table for, yeah, for support totally. with your, with your counseling. That's really cool. Yeah. Is with, uh, like the COVID spike, do you think the, uh, need for counseling is, uh, like really increased? Yeah. So it was a funny kind of like wave. I think at the beginning of COVID, I kind of chalked it up to people feeling paralyzed because from March to like May or June, we didn't really see any referrals and we're like, are people like, I guess people are kind of like, okay, they're home with their families. Like we're kind of anticipating things to go back to normal soon. And really nobody was seeking therapy. And it was that summer of 2020. I think that everything really got really busy and people really started reaching out um, for a therapist. I think once like the initial, it's, I never thought about that initial shock value of COVID because when you're in it with people, you're like, oh, we're just surviving, you know, getting through this. And then you look back and you're like, oh, we were all kind of like paralyzed there for a few months and not really sure what we even needed. So that's been like an interesting thing to look back on. And you said the summer was when it like skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense because everything shut down kind of like April time. Yeah. And then, uh, man, I would bet by, I know by May, June, I was getting really house stirred. Like it was yeah. just like we were going on walks twice a day and even that didn't seem to be, be enough. We'd go for a drive, but I mean, that's, that's not really the same as seeing people on a regular basis, you know? I know. And it, even that, it's like, that was like the outings of, you know, yeah. going for a drive and not even leaving your car. Like it's so wild. Right. Like all the, uh, I don't know about you, but we went to a couple of birthday drive throughs and yeah. everybody was in their car and just drove by and honked their horn and stuff so bizarre but we did it yeah right we made it through and now because you guys have kind of made like such a strong impression from the jump Mm -hmm. you have kind of built this business is it mostly off referrals or do you just kind of market your company via like social media or how how do you focus getting new clients yeah a lot of social media um, a lot of word of mouth which it's such as like a therapist, the highest form of a compliment when people say, Oh, I told my friend about you. And like, she really wants to like get in or I told my family member. And obviously there's certain lines that like, we can't see someone like sibling or parent, Um, but we can refer them within, you know, to our other therapists or even other therapists we know. And that's always a nice referral to get because that means that they, you know, are really seeing benefit out of it. So yeah, a lot of word of mouth, Um, a couple um, like doctors in the area that um, have sent people our way and have been, happy with the outcomes and they keep sending folks, which is really nice too. Yeah. I always say referrals are the highest form of flattery. Totally. It's like, if you love, if you love working with me so much and then you refer me to, to your yeah. mom, I'm like, Oh, that's really special. Yes, that's nice to hear. Yeah. That, that tells me that I did a, a good, at least a decent job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Exact same thing. Such a nice compliment. When uh, you had mentioned doctors earlier, and this is just bringing up my, I wanted to ask, with therapies, do insurance companies cover therapy sessions? I don't I like, how does that work? 
Yes and no. Um, so I have actually self-taught myself a lot about insurance, which is kind of sad in a way that I went through, I don't know, seven years of school and nobody ever talked about like the financial access of care, which is kind of important to most people that are seeking therapy. Um, So some people's insurance does cover therapy. The caveat there is some people have really high deductibles. So I didn't even know what a deductible was. I'm like the worst 20 something (laughs) year old, now 30 year old, because I didn't even know what my own deductible was. So a deductible is something you have to pay out of pocket before insurance even kicks in. So some people come to me with like a $3,000 deductible. So our fee divided by 3000, they might have to pay for the first 15 or 20 sessions straight out of pocket before insurance will even talk to us about covering. It seems um, so silly. I know it stinks. It stinks. And then, you know, if people have insurance, they're kind of banking on using their insurance. Right. Um, some people don't have deductibles though, which is wonderful. And a lot of companies um, waived co-pays during COVID and some even are still waived, which is nice. So they literally have nothing out of pocket and can just see a therapist. Um, we use a lot of like out of network reimbursement, which I also never knew about until I became a therapist, yeah, <laughs> which right. is when you pay out of pocket to see someone and then you submit like a fancy receipt to your insurance company and they will send you a check for like 60 to 80% of those services. Mm-hmm. So but it's yeah, like a reimbursement. I mean, yeah, but you still got to pay out of pocket initially. Yeah. And I think that's for a lot of people, I think that's the wall that prevents people from getting their therapy. Would you say that's, that's the case? Yeah. And I, yes. And my therapists that work with me are all private pay and they provide super bills. And I actually, for my own caseload only see in network insurance and drastically reduced um, pay, like half of my rate clients, just because I just felt like as a business owner, that was like the one thing I could do like for the realm of yeah. therapy is like, yes, my affiliate therapists do charge the average for what therapy costs in our area, but I take on people for like 50 or $60 a session, all like insurance, which there's like lag times with getting reimbursed by insurance, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, cause that wall, it's like, you don't know, you don't want to see people sick cause of that. So silly. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think uh, physical health is just as important as mental health. And that was something that I learned big time during COVID because I remember, I remember the gym shut down. We couldn't do jujitsu. You couldn't go to the gym. You can work out. Mm -hmm. And there was about a month and a half, two months where I just, I did no physical activity. And I remember actually my mentor Donna called me one time about something and I like snapped out at her and I, and that's not like me. And yeah. I was starting like kind of just putting the pieces together to realize that like, I think those two go hand in hand, like my physical, like yeah. my health, my physical health, my mental health, I think are tied hand in hand. Does that make sense? Or is that just me? Yeah. Effect? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's things like psychosomatic features, which is eventually like when you're anxious, you get stomach issues or you get a headache, or if you're depressed, you're tired. You know, those are all like physical symptoms of mental health. And then the opposite can definitely take place if you're not meeting your physical, you know, standard of whatever you do, jujitsu, running, whatever the case may be, your mental health kind of suffers as well. Do do you ever like recommend somebody to do more physical activity? I do. I recommend nutritionists a lot to Mm. people too. I have like a couple that um, I'll recommend that do virtual sessions. And that's more from personal experience because a couple years ago, I cut out 
like gluten and dairy and added sugars. And I felt so good. So when people come to me and they're like, I'm going to therapy and I'm, you know, taking my antidepressants and I just am still like hitting this wall. And I'm like, I just, I can't prescribe changing what you're eating. That's like not in my scope, but like just run, run it by a nutritionist, like see what they think they can do like food tests on you. And for some people that's also been the answer, which is what, you know, wild is changing something is like, you know, sub out your bread with gluten-free bread and you might feel miles better. Right, right. Your your mental state might be completely different, which yeah. is it's weird to think that your gut is tied to like a mental state so in your head. And I don't know if there's been studies done, but I feel like that's that's got to be yeah. the case. Because I know when I eat like shit for a week, I I not only do I feel like shit, but I also am very foggy. You know, like I don't, I'm not yes. as quick with stuff. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. going Great. back, I wanted to ask too with the insurance. I forgot to yeah. to mention. Is there any special hoops? Like if you wanted to bring on another insurance to uh, be approved with your counseling, do you have to like do something different? Like if you wanted, Hey, a lot of people are coming in with blue cross blue shield. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I reached out to them. Do I, would you have to do like jump through any hoops to get them to approve what you're doing? Yes. 1000%. So I actually use like a third party billing company that is offered in New York and a couple other states. And they actually do all of your credentialing for you and all the finances are handled through them and then they pay out to me. So I didn't really have to go through those hoops as much, but yes, like Blue Cross Blue Shield is a great example. If I wanted to panel with them as a provider, I'd have to submit 30 to 50 pages of paperwork that they send my Uh way. And then they base it on like providers in the area. So let's say there's 100 Blue Cross Blue Shield providers were in central New York. So in central New York, they might not approve me, even if all those providers are full and on six month waiting lists because they just go by like numbers per like population, essentially. Um, So that is a huge blockage to care because it's like, well, these providers are all on wait lists and you're not letting more people become providers. And then there's other caveats. Like, so let's say I do get approved and I am able to panel and see folks and network insurance companies sometimes do clawbacks, which is what scares a lot of therapists in private practice about even joining panels because they can come back. Yeah. So they can come back and say like, Hey, we don't really agree with you providing therapy to this person for the last six months. Like, either provide us, you know, all of the progress notes, the treatment plan, the discharge plan, any notes that you have on them, and we'll decide if, if therapy was worth it, essentially. And if not, they'll ask for all of the money they've given to you for them back. That sounds so crazy. <laughs> I that know. And it happens. So crazy. Yeah. That- and it's scary yeah. if you're just like, you know, like a, a one man show or a one woman right. show, like, you don't want to subject yourself to that because that could really impact, you know, the food on your table sometimes, depending how many clients they're doing it for. Right, right. And I, man, I know this is such a controversial topic for some people, but I feel like the the healthcare is just so messed up in America. It's so ass backwards, it seems like. Yeah. I hear stories like that. And then you have people who like are having to pay $200 for insulin. Like there's, yeah. like, it just seems so crazy to me. It just seems like if, if you want to talk to a therapist, wouldn't it just make everybody's lives easier and everybody, it increased the healthiness of the entire United States. If you just made that accessible for people, you know what I mean? Like it seems like therapy giving it in the hands of the most people possible seems like the best outcome, no matter if it's like 
uh, medicine, right. Or, or mm-hmm. even just fit, or therapy, right. Like, it seems like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a good choice. I don't know why we don't do it. It just seems yeah. so frivolous. I don't know. It, it is. It, it's hard to justify people that, cause people, the insurance companies or like EAPs, which is what like an employee assistance program. If you get like therapy through like your job, they usually give you like a three, six, nine month kind of, okay, you can provide services for this long, but then you're going to need a really good reason to continue. And it's like, well, what if, you know, some people I've been in therapy for four or five years on and off because I'm a therapist and like it's kind of a stressful area to be in sometimes how do you quantify that to an insurance company that somebody just needs ongoing therapy because it's helpful and they say it's helpful that's not a very um you know it's hard to put that into words or put that on paper as to why it's beneficial if we're not saying oh well they have this level of trauma or this level of depression and this is the means you know it's just it's so convoluted and messy yeah, it's that's that's like a great example of, you know, not working out for two months. You know, you work yeah. out your entire life like three, four times a week, and then all of a sudden you mm-hmm. can't do anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And but when you stop, you turn into a different person. So you do therapy for four years, you turn into a different person, you're starting to feel better about yourself, about the people around you, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it gets cut off. It's not like you just maintain that stuff. Sometimes mm-hmm. you need that thing to kind of keep you uh, I guess you want to say constant, right? Like a constant yeah. level, you know, yeah. it just so seems how do you so quantify weird. that? Right. I know. It just, uh, it just seems so, so weird to limit somebody to only a, a dedicated amount of time. Be like, Oh, after 90 days, you got, you know, you got, mm-hmm. uh, however many weeks, what yeah, 12 weeks, 90 days with sessions with Alicia. And then after that, you got to have a pretty good reason for us to keep paying her. Yeah, I do, I do have a good reason. I, I need I need yeah. to talk to her. That is yeah, my. I like, feel like, better. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a thing. That's like I don't understand it totally. I just I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, and you know, changing rules like even for on a network, I used to just call. I'd have people like email me their insurance cards, and I would call their insurance and be like, "Hey, like, what's the deal? What's their on a network? How do they submit it?" And they don't even let therapists do that anymore. They want the people to call. But it's like, if I have somebody in front of me who's, you know, depressed and can't even make it to work, how, how am I going to convince them via email to call their insurance company and inquire about out-of-network benefits? I mean, it just, and unfortunately, those people kind of just fade out and, you know, you just kind of hope that they reappear or reach out to someone else and, you know, just another, another barrier in the bucket. Right. I know. And that's, that's a thing is like during uh, that whole quarantine thing. I, I keep reverting back to jujitsu. It just seems to, mm-hmm. to kind of correlate. There was somebody yeah. who few people at our gym who used that as it was their social time. It was when they got to see people, mm-hmm. they were usually at home, stuck at home. And unfortunately during COVID we lost two people at Taikai from depression and other related mm-hmm. things. But it was, I think a major part of that is the fact that they don't have that outlet in their life anymore. And I, and it really concerns me because it, I felt like when I saw them, their obituaries, I was like, how many other people are out there that are like this, that like need these kind of services or need, need their, whatever it is, jujitsu or uh, a church group or like whatever it is, like people kind of need these things to, I don't, I don't know. I just, I think they, they needed that sense of community in their life a lot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's so, so uh, sad to hear. I'm so sad. I can't even imagine coming out of COVID and going back to like that community 
and like missing right. those you know what i mean that's awful yeah it's such a it's such a weird thing it was just that it was so unprecedented and it was just so yeah. and it's like it changed the scope of a lot of careers a lot of people's lives and it's interesting to see because i think like you got on the cusp of i remember when you made the announcement that you were going to do your online only counseling mm-hmm. and when i saw the post i was like geez why has nobody ever done that before that seems like a good idea because you're not you're no longer spending you know the commute an hour one way you mm-hmm. sit down for how long are your sessions 50 minutes yeah like an, an hour with with alicia mm-hmm. and then another hour back home right so you're cutting mm-hmm. out your commute time not only and just the convenience of literally facetiming mm-hmm. your therapist mm-hmm. like how many times do you have to talk to somebody like at a last minute notice are you usually booked out like pretty far in advance i'm usually pretty booked um i have been able to accommodate people that kind of they'll email me or call me and be like hey like this just happened do you happen to have like any cancellations or anything like that and i am and yeah you know sometimes they're you know pre-covid at work or right. you know they're like at home working but they can go in between meetings or take their lunch break and be able to fit it in during their lunch break and that's been amazing my favorite is when people um i used to do couples therapy more and people would see me after they put their kids to bed. And that got me thinking, like, how many people don't see couples therapy because they have nobody for childcare? And like now yeah. you're adding another expense for childcare and dropping them somewhere and picking them up and finding somebody who will accommodate, you know, what, right. an hour and a half. Like you're not going to find a sitter to do that short amount of time. And just right. you know, that's been really cool to be able to provide is those like 8 p.m. time slots um, for couples has been like incredible. Yeah. So you, you're essentially like work on around the clock then. Yeah. It's yeah. It's been nice because now having the baby, we kind of are able to create like my schedule based off of childcare, you know, yeah. how that goes. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's been nice and it worked out because everyone wants evening appointments. So. Right. Right. And that's exactly like, that's the nice thing too about uh, real estate. Cause that's what yeah. uh, my wife, she works uh, Monday through Friday job. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like eight to four 30. Mm-hmm. Um, Usually she's done by four, usually seven thirty to four. But um I usually I'm the daycare for for little yeah. man. So it's usually I'm I'm with him and then if I have a, an appointment during like the afternoon, thank God for my grandmother who can babysit yes. for for like an hour while I go show houses. You know what I mean? Some people don't have like some people aren't as, as fortunate yeah. as something like that. And then totally. adding childcare on top of a cost of uh therapy, it just it just feels like sometimes that stuff kinda piles on top of people mm-hmm. i just think you take any kind of walls down to let people into therapy the, the better and i think like that online service completely removes the one of one of the i would say probably the second barrier right the first being mm-hmm. the pay the second the convenience of having to drive out and do all that noise you know mm-hmm. yeah and what, sometimes um, that third is like privacy like some people don't want to yeah. walk into marked buildings that say like mental health services especially if it's in like a city or like a small town and that's been a huge deterrent for people i didn't even think of that i didn't even mm-hmm. think of that do you think there's any other like are there any other big reasons why somebody would consider not doing therapy i because the first things i think of is is the cost and the and how inconvenient it is to have to drive and do something elsewhere is there mm-hmm. other like another thing you think of i think Mostly recently, I've been getting a lot of inquiries that say, like, I don't really know why I'm reaching out, but I am. So, like, can we talk? So, I think, like, 
I think if I had to define that, it would be having like a definitive thing that they're seeking therapy for. I feel like people think that they have to say like, oh, this terrible thing happened to me or I'm diagnosed with X, Y, and Z. So I need therapy. Like you can go to therapy just because you like want to try it or like you want to see what it's about. And I think that some people may delay because they don't have this like tangible, tangible reason why. Right. No, that's a good, I know, I guess I never really thought about that. Cause usually when I think of, um, therapy, I think like you're going to them when you already have, mm-hmm. have the issue, right. It's like, you already have, uh, marital problems or you already have mm-hmm. some kind of drug addiction or something. So I guess that, that would make a lot of sense. So I guess really any plan, and if somebody comes to you, no matter what, what the underlying issue is for them, do you kind of always start? from like ground zero, the same position. It's always like, I would, I guess you could say almost like a scientific method, right? Like you Mm -hmm. start from ground zero and then start to build off from that. Do you have like a, a system? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I do um, like a full intake the first time I meet with somebody and I kind of just call out the discomfort in that of like, Hey, it's our first time meeting. And I'm going to ask you really intimate questions. And like, you can say no, or you can say like, I want to table that, but this is just kind of everything that is going to help us like forge our path essentially. Um, so everything from like relationship status, how did they meet? How's that going? Housing status, family, you know, the big question, tell me about your family. People kind of like, you know, where do I begin with that? You know, very common answer. Um, History of relationships, history of work, education, friends, supports, um, things that you do to take care of yourself. And throughout that, there's usually at least one thing that I can kind of pluck out after and be like, this feels like it's worth just talking about and seeing if it leads anywhere. Right. Interesting. Interesting. So it's because I would imagine even like the same, like if you had two people come to you with the same issue, if it was like, say it was marital problems, I feel like Mr. and Mrs. Jones is going to have a different underlying issue or in a different Mm -hmm. uh, path than Mr. and Mrs. Smith and how you would approach how you would approach that. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And unfortunately, a lot of it comes back to our family. That's usually like, you know, so much of our current relationships are synced in with like our upbringing and the relationships that we had with our family or with past romantic relationships. Like a lot of that stuff seeps in to our current relationships. So relationship work can also be a lot of like family systems work of kind of getting to the the crooks of that. Do you think a lot of it kind of a lot of issues kind of stem from family stuff. Yeah. 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 Or like just caregiver, you know, the kind of environment we grew up in, like what was tolerated, what wasn't. Um, Yeah. A lot of it, you know, it's kind of like a joke, like, Oh, it's like my childhood, childhood problems. And like, as a therapist, I'm like, no, but those, those can really turn into like bigger, bigger issues as you get older. Right. Right. That's like, that's the, uh, it's like the common thing people think of when you think of therapy, you think of mm-hmm. sitting on a long red couch and then somebody <laughs> sitting on a chair next to you and then saying, yeah, tell me about your family. How does it make you feel when they say that? Like that, that's what I think a lot of people have in their head who don't go to therapy like myself. Like I, that's, that's what I think of right off the bat. And it's probably not like that at all. No, no, not at all. I designed a coffee mug that said, how does that make you feel? And to me, that made me laugh because it's so like satirical of like the, you know, the age old joke of like therapy. I don't know if people understand that joke, but it makes yeah. 
<laughs> it makes me laugh. Because, yeah, no, yeah, it's not right. like that. We typically don't go around like, asking, like, how does that make you feel? And how does this make you feel? It's, like, a lot more layered than that, luckily. Right. And was, like, everything, like, the, the plan and the questions that you ask, is this all stuff that you've, like, learned from other people? Or is it uh, kind of stuff that you've read in books? Or, like, is it a combination of both? Yeah, definitely a combination. I think like the nice thing about working in community mental health, because there's got to be something, is like seeing different ways that people kind of form um, like treatment in general. So like from start to finish, like how do agencies, you know, shape their intake process and their initial kind of like evaluation and treatment plans and the discharge and how do you know when to refer out and how do you know when something's outside of your scope so seeing that from both different agencies and different people that i've worked with and then kind of building like my own style off of that obviously paired with like the education and things that i continue you know we have to have I think like 30 continuing education credits a year. So I'm always taking more classes or webinars or podcasts or anything along those lines and kind of like shifting it as I go. Um, but yeah, pretty personalized, I guess. Yeah, that was actually going to be one question I was going to ask was like, do you have to do any continuing education or any classes like that? Is there a requirement that it's like of those 30 hours, 10 of them have to be family, 10 of them has to be drug addiction, 10 of them has to be kids therapy. Is it kind of structured like that? Yeah. And the crazy thing is, so I'm licensed in New York and Connecticut and I have like a, a national counselor certification and they all Why come with different. So I had to get it funny enough. I had to get it when I worked at the VA because yeah. New York state, it's so political. It's like such garbage. If you ask me like New York state favors social workers over licensed mental health therapists. So I'm a licensed mental health therapist. So the social workers in New York, um, have lobbied more for their profession than our profession. Mm -hmm. So they try to take away our ability as licensed mental health therapists to diagnose, which is obviously a huge part of being a therapist. So to work for the VA, which is part of the federal government, you have to get licensed in an additional state to have that right to diagnose in Mm. like the state's eyes. But you have to pay for that and you have to pay for it every year. And you have to pay for the continuing education for it. So I have three different standards of continuing education that I have to hit. And thank God for my husband, who's like a spreadsheet wizard and like made one for me because it can get very um, confusing, but yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to change subject, but what was the continuing education you had to do? So it's trauma, military, family. I think that's, I think that's the bulk of it. They always want to make sure you have nicotine, like tobacco. Oh, gotcha. And you have to do 30 hours a a year? Yeah, I think it's like 30 for my New York. I think it's like 10 for Connecticut. And then the um, national, um, nationally certified counselor is split into like a five year span of a renewal period. So I think Mm. those like end up getting hit by the other ones. It's so, and it's so silly with like online therapy because there's been a push for like interstate therapy of like, well, if we're doing it online, why can't we see somebody who's, you know, in Pennsylvania or New Jersey? Like you have to get fully licensed in that state. Um, So a lot of like recent talks about like, why are we making this so complicated? You know, we can kind of streamline this process a little bit. Do you ever think that'll happen? Oh gosh, I hope so. I hope so, obviously for the client's sake, because 
I can track my CEs in a spreadsheet every year for the rest of my life. That's no problem. But when clients build a rapport with a therapist and then they go to college, which is wonderful and great that they're chasing that and moving out of state and doing all of these things, but they have to like break up with their therapist in the process and find a new one in the midst of all these changes. Like it's it just, stressful. yeah, like it just like breaks my heart a little bit of like, you know, these like 18 year olds that have to, you know, go through that whole process again, or people, you know, the tri-state area is really funny because some people live in Connecticut, but work in New York city. So if they're on their mm -hmm. lunch break, you can't see them. They have to be sitting in the state that you're, I mean, I could, if you were only licensed in one state, you couldn't see them because they have to right. be sitting in the state that you're licensed in and explaining that to somebody. They're like, well, that's silly. And I'm like, yeah. I know it is like, I'm, I know, I agree, but we still have to do it, you know? Right. And that's like the first thing when you said like a 16 year old kid, I remember when my parents split, when I was, my parents divorced, I think when I was like 11, 12, I remember my parents asked if I wanted to go to therapy and me being mm -hmm. a kid, I'm like, no, I never want, I never want to see a therapist. But yeah. then like, if you finally got to the point where you're comfortable with seeing a therapist and then all of a sudden your mom's like, Hey, we're moving to, to Massachusetts. Yeah. And then like, I could see my, could see that 16 year old, kid never being like i'm not i'm not gonna see a therapist again i built a relationship yeah. up with alicia i don't i don't want to build a relationship up with stacy down in yeah. massachusetts you know yeah. especially because you because i would imagine that therapy is very intimate like you said earlier mm -hmm. right you're you're sharing a lot about yourself so then to have the fear of doing it to somebody else that's got to be traumatizing especially to a yeah. 16 year old kid you know absolutely yeah so you should just make I it national so. They get one national yeah. standard across the board. Yeah, I totally agree. I hope, I mean, I think COVID like pushed it in that direction a lot, but a lot of work to be done to like really solidify something like that, unfortunately. Is there like a board of therapists? Is it like a, like the New York state board of there? Is that who like represents you guys? Is that how it kind of works? Yeah. So we have like a New York board of um, like licensed therapists and then there's like a New York um, social work and there's like a national social work and there's a national licensed mental health therapist. Um, so yeah, entities for both state and national. Um, and I haven't met somebody yet who's not on board with like the interstate thing. So mm -hmm. I think it's for people that are much higher up on the totem pole than us that are kind of making these decisions and keeping them in place. Right. Right. And that's, you know, real estate is the same thing you have. You get your license per state and you can't mm -hmm. do it. But that to me kind of makes sense because how you do uh, real estate here in New York is vastly different how you do it. Like in Florida, like my friend Ryan sold his house here. He moved to Florida here. It takes 60 days to close because we have attorneys down in mm -hmm. Florida. No attorneys. You just have a real estate agent and a title company and you can close in 30 days. So it's like it's completely wow. different because now the attorney, you take that person out of the equation now the real estate agent and the title company have a lot more work that's that's on their their plate to to go through i don't know i yeah. i, I kind of like having an attorney that i could be like oh my god what this just happened what do you recommend because i need help you know yeah it's like the wild west down in florida it is it, it's true but you know it's funny is because new york and california are one of the only few states that are attorney states with real estate oh. so it, they're one of the few that are like that um, I think there's a couple of other oh. ones, but California and New York are the big ones. My aunt sold her house, moved down to Tennessee. Same thing. Real estate agent, title company. That was it. Real, wow. I should say real estate agent on, on both sides. So you had the buyer and seller's agent and then the title company. 
but yeah. a lot less hands in the pot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I but, guess, but I guess it would make sense. Make it more national for yeah. for therapy because like I guess that would that would make a lot more sense because the the techniques that you guys are using and, and learning are pretty much the same from here to California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing I've come across that people might need to keep in mind is like the culture of a state, which I think didn't make sense to me until COVID hit. And I was like, oh, I can't imagine somebody counseling somebody in New York state and not knowing like everything about like Cuomo and like, you know, his like daily, you know, briefings and like the whole kind of like culture of like New York. And then the same thing with like Connecticut, like there's a culture of Connecticut that I don't always understand because, you know, being able to travel back and forth in New York city so easily. And like what that looks like for people at different age groups, like I don't always have an understanding of that. And not that I think it's going to inhibit the therapeutic relationship, but it's something that to keep in mind, I don't know how confident I would feel doing therapy with somebody who lived in California. I don't really know that culture. I'm not, you know, living there. I've never lived there. So I think that's the only caveat to keep in mind. But if that's, you know, it, I mean. But when you put it that way, it's like, I wouldn't want, if I lived in New York city, I wouldn't want somebody who's living in Oregon to give me (laughs) therapeutic advice on stuff that's going on in New York city. I would imagine like mental health in New York city probably was at a vast decline, especially in New York City, because of how, I mean, you're living in a sardine can down there. Yeah. You know, people are on top of each other. It's like, no matter where you go, you're, mm-hmm. you are packed to the gills mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a handful of clients that like went and stayed with their families outside of New York City, but I had a, a handful that stayed in the city and it was wild. Like it was, wild to hear about their experiences during that and i i can't even imagine living there through that yeah right especially with somebody who is probably not in the right frame of mind on top of that and then Mm -hmm. having to deal with all of that at the same time that must have been a lot for a lot of people to to chew at once you know yeah absolutely do you find uh, a a certain generation seeks for therapy more often than the others. I know you guys focus on millennials, but when you were working with, uh, you said the VA before, mm-hmm. do you see like millennials caring more about mental health than say like a, a boomer generation? I think Gen Z has us all be, I think that mm. they, they will yeah. come to me and be like, I don't know. I just want a therapist and like have no shame in their game. You have to love them for that. Like they are so willing to just, try therapy and see what it's about and if it's not working out they'll be like no thanks and it's like cool like that was a good experience you know if you ever need me again there you go I think millennials are um more willing to do it I think that they in some kind of way like want more privacy around it um like not telling people around them that they're in therapy right away which Mm -hmm. has been kind of like uh not like a weird dynamic but something I hadn't thought of I guess of like oh I don't want my roommate to know I don't want my partner to know like not yet like I'm not ready to talk about it yet um and I rarely get people older than millennials in therapy unfortunately oh really yeah I could I could totally see that it definitely seems like that is like um it sounds it sounds like I'm belittling when I say it's like a trend but it's not really it's not like it's I think a lot like you said like a lot more of those kids are more open with Mm -hmm. with getting somebody else's opinion from outside do you Mm -hmm. think a majority of it is more female versus male because there's there's that like classic archetype of men who don't want to talk about their feelings right because they're big strong and tough and they don't need that you know 
Totally, one hundred percent. I think like you think it's like eighty percent female, twenty percent male, or do you think that's higher? Yeah, probably like eighty twenty. Sometimes ninety ten, depending on wow. like the season. Yeah, right. Because it always seems like uh, the men are never want to talk about the feelings, right? And then uh, in like a with couples counseling, I, I'm speaking mm. from arrogance here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's usually maybe the wife that says, yeah. hey, we want to talk about our problems, and the guy's like, no, I don't want to say nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah exactly. The typical archetype is true then. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I ask the same – everyone conducts couples therapy different, but in the beginning, I'll ask the same question to both partners. And if it's, like, a heteronormative relationship, I – receive vastly different responses when I'm asking questions. The woman just tends to be more open about talking about it, very typically speaking. And yes, the male is super resistant. Um, and it kind of like breaks my heart in a little way. Cause I'm like, Oh my, imagine like the childhood that are in the messages that have been received by men that they don't think that they're allowed to talk about this or it makes them so uncomfortable or, they think that it'll cast like a negative light on them. Like, I'm not really sure, again, speaking from arrogance, I'm not sure what their experiences that kind of leads them to this point of being so uncomfortable having right. these conversations. Um, but, you know, I'm so overly empathetic. I'm like, what, like what happened? You know, like what is going on that this is like where you landed? Cause to me, I'm like, you're so worthy of being able to talk about this. Like you shouldn't be able to talk about this comfortably and like actively work on, you know, your relationship or things that you're going through or whatever is presenting you in therapy. And that initial hurdle of like not even feeling like they can is, you know, wild to me. Yeah. And I think, uh, you had said that I think that idea is starting to change a little bit, right? With with Gen Z, right? Is that the Gen Z? Is that what they yeah. are? I yeah. feel like that that is changing because you see a lot more dudes talking about how they feel about stuff, which is mm-hmm. I think is great. I think that that needs to happen more often because I also spend little to zero time reflecting on stuff until the past. Uh, man, I don't know. I feel like when up until I met my wife. I did not ever think about that kind of stuff. And now wow. that I'm with my wife, it's more about like, huh, how did this thing make me feel? Cause like when I vent to her, she's like, well, what's going on with that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just for me, I, I guess I'm just lucky that I have a, a wonderful partner in that sense. And I don't, I don't think some people even, even if their partner said that, I don't think a lot of them would be like, nah, I'm not talking mm-hmm. about it. You know? Yeah, totally. Totally. And do you think um, that that idea of therapy is starting to become more popular that you guys are going to be under more of a workload in the future? Yeah, I think especially after so many people spent so much time on social media in the last year, I feel like I have Instagram and TikTok to thank um, because I think it's normalizing a lot of it. And I think that it's getting messages out there of like, hey, if you're feeling X, Y, and Z, like this is totally fixable. Like you, you know, you can dampen your symptoms and you can feel better. And like, this doesn't have to be like your baseline or your homeostasis to like live like this and to feel like this. Um, and I think just getting those snippets of information out there of like, this doesn't have to be your normal. And there's, you know, certain routes you can take or things you can try has been really helpful in giving people maybe that extra push even towards therapy, even thinking about it. Yeah. And do you think that it's really these things are a source of a lot of mental issues for people, cell phones and social media and all that? 
Yes. So one of my personal questions on my intake is if you feel comfortable, pull up your screen time and let me know what it is. I know that's the response I always get. And some people say no. Some people have literally said that's way too embarrassing. I don't want you to know. And I'm like, listen, that's fine. But just keep in mind that like, this is something that I'd like to talk about at some point. And yeah, absolutely. Screen time. So associated with how people feel. How do you, if somebody has a hard time with screen time, how do you, how do you get them to like manage it? What kind of techniques do you give them? Barriers, like as many barriers as we can. So sleeping with the phone outside of their room, um, Mm. setting up like iPhones are nice in a way because they have those, um, like, blocks I guess you can say like after an hour on social media um your iPhone will pop up and be like hey it's been an hour like are you sure you still want to so even just that extra step of having to say like yeah I'm sure I still want to is enough for some people to recognize like oh crap like it's been an hour like I had no idea it's even been that long um leaving their phone at home which is hard for people like when they go for a walk when they go outside um, those are pretty common ones. Um, sleeping with the phone outside of the bedroom is a big one that I always recommend to people. Really? So people sleep is inhibited by their phones. That's yeah, that's, that is very true. I also, because I have a job that I work with, I'm constantly on call 24 yeah. hours a day, seven days a week. And, but like yeah. you said, set boundaries, right? When I think like I was that agent when I first started that it was like any email, any text message, I was quick to answer immediately. Right. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of when I had Ashton, a lot of my tendencies like kind of changed. Like I'm no longer like I'm not going to text you anymore after eight o'clock. If Mm -hmm. it's like a business related thing, if it's happening at 8 p.m., there the good chances it could wait until tomorrow. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. certain cases, right? If somebody the offer deadlines at 9 p.m. and we just saw the house at 730 and they love like there's there are very, very few exceptions. But a lot of times. Mm it's eight o'clock is when I don't answer work stuff because I can just take mm-hmm. care of it in the morning. And it's usually like that eight to eight window, you know, cause I mm-hmm. still get my time with Ash in the morning, give him breakfast, get him situated. And then I open up my laptop at eight and go through all my text messages and stuff. So I, yeah. I try hard not to, because I had that moment where I looked at my screen time once put my phone down and I walked away from it for like the rest of the day. I was like, I don't, I'm, I don't want to see that number ever again. I'm just gonna, I'm going to walk away with it and pretend the problem doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, totally. And those are such good boundaries to put in place, but it's, it can be so hard for people because imagine already having like social anxiety to a certain point and then feeling like, I think our phones make us feel like we have to be at everyone's constant disposal. Like we have to answer our boss's emails. We have to answer phone calls. Like people know that we all have our phones on us all the time. So this like age old excuse of like, I didn't see you called. It's like, "Eh, eh." we kind of like know that everyone has their phones on them all the time, you know? Um, And I think that drives people kind of, I don't know if it's like a need or just, you know, guilt of having to respond to everybody all the time. It's like an awful thing to feel. Right. And that's, that was one thing that I fought with getting into this business because this business is very, it's very FOMO. Like if you don't, if you don't answer that phone, is that a client? Is that a new potential client? Is that a new lead that you can get? Is that going to lead to a new paycheck, a new commission check, you know? So like a lot of times, but then I realized that I think a lot of that, it's just me making that shit up in my head. Like no, no, no new clients call me at eight 30 at night. 
that wants mm-hmm. to set up a, it's not happening you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's for me just speaking about me like i just put those boundaries in my in my own head because i just i do that with a lot of stuff like if i don't i have to do things in moderation or i just do mm-hmm. stupid shit and i'll have my phone out the whole time when i'm spending time with ash you know what i yeah. mean and it, it's easy to get sucked into a wormhole because all of a sudden yeah. You start on Twitter and then you're on YouTube watching people make in-ground pools. Like you're like, how did I end up getting here? I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Yeah, totally. It's such a hard thing to manage. It's so, it's so difficult. Yeah. And different things like work for different people. Like I rely on my Apple watch a lot now because I used Mm. to get annoyed that I couldn't do a lot on my Apple watch, but I'm like, you know what? Like if someone calls me, if someone texts me, if I get a work email, like I can see those things come through and that's really what matters. But I reduce those holes because I can also, I'm a wormhole goer if I want Mm. to be, and you can't do that if you're on your watch, but you know, different things are going to work for different people. And that trial and error process can be just a pain to go through. Yeah, right. And especially when you're just trying to overcome, like, because it becomes an addiction, like on your phone, like that dopamine spike of seeing what they do. Oh, they like this picture, a bunch of Mm things. It's like, it is a dark rabbit hole to go down. And it's unlike anything we've ever seen until the last, like, what, 10 years? I mean, really, I think Instagram's been around probably about that long, maybe. Yeah, something like that. So that, that. must be yeah, a crazy so development in like the therapy world of like social media and how to how to cope with weird social media expectations, like your own expectations you put up, I guess. Yeah, well, and it's hard too. It's like a very vulnerable place to talk to somebody about like, well, why are you posting, you know, X amount of times a week? Like, what is that providing for you? And I think that right. question sits very uncomfortably in a lot of people. And I think that to a point you kind of, it's on the, like your therapeutic relationships on the line a little bit when you start pressing people in those really uncomfortable areas of like, you know, who's going to want to say, well, I feel crappy about myself and I'm looking for validation. You know, it's, it's a very sensitive area to start to kind of poke into, but yeah, it can be so detrimental. Like, why are you, you know, seeking out this validation online when you're, you know, maybe depressed about X, Y, and Z, or when you fight with your spouse, or when your mom says these really crappy comments to you about, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's like a hard thing to talk about, you know? Yeah, right. It's it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Like if, um, if there is like, some signs of somebody that should probably speak with a, a therapist in all in all avenues, what would be some signs that, hey, it might be a good idea to to talk to a therapist at this point? And it could be anything, I guess. But are there any like telltale signs you could see ahead of time? Yeah. So the one I like to start with now is if you think back to like a former self that was happier. Because I think for those people that are like, I don't know if I need therapy. I think if we're finding ourselves thinking like, oh, you know, in college, I was so happy or when I graduated high school, I was so happy or in my early twenties, I was so happy. And if you find yourself in those kind of holes, I think it's a good time to start therapy and look at like, why isn't that translating into the stage of life that you're in now? So I think that's a, a good intangible one. More tangible ones would be like, if your sleep is lacking, if you feel symptoms of anxiety, um, you know, most of the day or most of the week. So like tightness in your chest, racing thoughts, um, changes in body temperature, 
um, nervous going into social situations, the inability to sit with yourself. So the inability to like be home alone without being on your phone or without binging Netflix. Um, there's a fine line between relaxing and dissociating. So we can dissociate into our phones or in Netflix or even into reading to a certain point. Um, so if you're not able to like sit with yourself for a certain amount of time, um, if you're having a hard time getting out of bed, if people around you say that you're acting different, um, I think those are all pretty common ones. Or if COVID has just kicked your ass, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, absolutely. If you just feel like COVID's like kicked your ass and you're feeling defeated. I feel like that's a great reason now. Yeah, I I think a lot it, that's happened with a lot of people just because it's nobody's really known like known how to how to cope with something like this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. From being isolated for for so long, and now I guess I it's weird saying normal because it's not really technically totally yeah. normal, but it's at least a little bit better. I mean, I, mm-hmm. we took Ash into a baseball game. Like we took oh, him out, you know, like that's like, those are the kind of moments you, you wanted. And it's kind of yeah. like, I remember sitting in the stadium with Brittany and it's, it's not really full. It's maybe like 40% capacity, mm-hmm. not even, but you look around you're like, wow, it feels like after a long year and a half, it seems like there's some type of normalcy coming mm-hmm. back to it you know mm-hmm. and i don't think a lot of people knew that it was going to be this long like mm-hmm. the the duration i think killed a lot of people's motivations on stuff yeah yeah it changed a lot of sales and i think a lot of people's experiences are like a form of trauma in a way like there's mm. a lot of grief and loss associated you know being blindsided over and over and over again and having to you know like adjust our sales and switch things up like that gets tiresome to people after a while you know humans are only so resilient before we it starts to take a toll on us um so that's a big one yeah don't be afraid to go into therapy just with the main complaint of like covid like that's enough we we get it we hear you you know right you're like yeah trust me we we're dealing with a lot i would imagine there's probably a good chunk of people right now too coming to you guys yeah, and like teachers, college students, healthcare workers. I mean, oh, it's teachers. Just, I know, I know. I feel so. Teachers. I feel so much for teachers, especially yeah. one of my good friends, Dennis, is a teacher, and I just from hearing like the crazy adjustments that he had to make on things, it's just like I don't think I could. I don't know how I would do it. I mean, it's just like Jesus, man. Like, how do you yeah. how do you go through and have to literally restructure your entire class plan? that yeah. you spent the last 10 years of your career perfectly honing. So, you know, each day what you're going to do. And now you have to do it all over again. You have to start, you have to throw that out and do it all over again. Like that's yeah. like, to me, my hands are sweating. Just, just <laughs> talking about it. Like <laughs> while taking care of these like 15 or 20 students and like acting as like their yeah. mentor in a way, like acting as the person who has it all together when you're like crumpling inside. Uh, and by the way, test scores better not slip up during this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like very yeah, unreal yeah, expectations. Yeah. Unreal expectations on some of them. That uh, is so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. If um, if there was one thing that you could tell somebody who was on the verge of going to therapy or not, what is the biggest piece of advice that you could give them? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, the first thing that comes to mind would be don't be afraid afraid to fire your therapist. I Mm. think that like having that good relationship with your therapist is probably one of the most important things in your therapy process. So 
if you have a consult call with somebody, if you're doing a couple, you know, sessions with somebody and it just doesn't feel right, it's okay to, it's okay to ghost them. I shouldn't even say that, but like, if that's what you have to do to jump ship and get in with another therapist, like it's okay to shop for therapists until you find one that you jump. And there's nothing that says like, uh, you have to like, when somebody comes to you, you're not signing an agreement to work with them for X amount of time. Right. No, not at all. Uh, It's literally like, like over. what are you doing next week? Yeah. What'd you, what'd you say? I think it's against our ethics to like package because some people try to like package like five or 10 therapy sessions. And I think that they're frowning upon that because of that, because like, what if it's, mm. what if you've already paid, but it's like not a match? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Right. Right. I could, I could totally, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's like all the questions that I had. I came prepared with a bunch of questions oh my just God, to kind of keep it. things rolling because I try to at least keep the conversation moving. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch base on that we didn't talk about? I think we covered it. I had like a very short list, definitely not yours, but we covered everything. That was amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. This was, this was really cool to do. I, what, uh, I have the link in your Instagram, the beacon thing. Is it cool if I plug that in? What I'll do is I'll put in the show description. So then, Anybody listening right now or watching, you guys can go to the description below. You can follow the link and then you'll find uh, all of Alicia's information for the convenient counseling services from her blog to the apparel to the website. And even I thought it was cool. You had like product and book recommendations. Yeah. I thought that was really cool, too. I was like scrolling through that before uh, we started. I was like, oh, that's a that's a great idea. Thanks. Winter is coming. My favorite happy lamp is on there. Highly recommend. Favorite happy lamp? Yeah, I like the vitamin D lamps. Oh. Like sun lamps. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, so great for New York winters. Oh, yep. Vitamin D is super important. Well, Alicia, thanks for doing this. I appreciate the Thank heck out so of you. Thank you so much for having me. That's awesome. Thanks uh, for taking a whole, yeah, a whole hour out of your night to do this. Absolutely. No, this was great. Thank you so much. And who knows? Maybe, maybe your goal is accomplished. Maybe we'll be talking soon about that yes. therapy session. That would be amazing. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks, Alicia. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Corey. Ooh.